Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike, and we have reached the culmination mm-hmm. of the Oscars road. We are on the precipice of more Oscars history to come, the 94th Academy Awards coming to you live this Sunday, and to wrap up our Oscars year coverage is the same wrap-up we've had for the past three years, and now our fourth year, it has become an annual tradition at this point. Uh, we are incredibly proud to present the 2022 Feinberg Final, Michael, we have a special guest, as we always do this time of year, Scott Feinberg from The Hollywood Reporter joins us today. Yeah, I can't wait for you guys to uh, listen to this one. We ask him all the burning questions that we've had pent up over the course of the year mm-hmm. about the industry and certainly about this year's Oscars, all the burning questions that have popped up over the last week. And uh, you guys got to read him on The Hollywood Reporter. You got to uh, subscribe to the newsletters over there. You'll get it right into your email, the awards newsletters uh, and the awards blasts that come through on a, on a, on a weekly basis, rather. And, and make sure you subscribe to Awards Chatter. It is uh, one of our absolute favorite podcasts. Fantastic. Appointment viewing. I mentioned a bunch of... Uh, highlighted episodes, uh, highlights of the year for me in this episode. And Mike, we also have a couple more. Billy Eilish, Phineas O'Connell of No Time to Die. They were on the show and they were, and that podcast was the soundtrack to my trip. Remember to the Power of the Dog that I talked about? The two hour <laughs> stuck in traffic. <laughs> Just listening to No Time to Die over and over again. Well, I imagine that's, to their podcast. that's why it's going to win the yeah, Oscar. And, yeah, and the, the Academy song. did the same thing. Stuck in traffic, going to the Power of the Dog and listening to that. I, Can you imagine probably, if I listened a, to the song? <laughs> for two hours straight i always feel bad like i try not to ever bother our guests when we have them on outside of like setting up the call and whatever but like when i saw scott was having both of them on i had to reach out to him I'm like i am incredibly jealous of you mm-hmm. and i i wish i was in the room when you were interviewing them but the, the people he gets on that show of awards chatter is, is like we've talked about all year Top notch, the A list of the A list. He is the the journo in Hollywood that uh, the, you know, he's he talks to the biggest and the best because he himself is one of the biggest and the best in the entire industry. Yeah, he did a rare interview with Nicolas Cage, and I I never knew Nicolas Cage was, I mean, just speaking a mile a minute, but I mean, so knowledgeable about the business. I guess he should be, but you wouldn't expect it from his roles. I guess that means he is actually one of the best actors. Uh, at large right now because, dude, he was like Tom Hanks level, which Scott had on the show last year. Tom Hanks level in terms of his know-how and everything. So he he was interviewed for Pig and he talked about his Coppola origins, etc., his family tree there. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, early in the season, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy of The Queen's Gambit, she told uh, quite the harrowing story uh, growing up in the business as a kid and her early career. So Scott... 
he makes a lot of award seasons for for these folks. We're going to talk about you know his coverage of Coda. He had Amelia Jones, Eugenio Derbez on earlier in the year, so he kind of was all over Coda throughout the season, and he just had Troy Kotzer on as well, Mike. But uh, yeah, I mean Feinberg forecast on THR, obviously on newsstands now. You can get the Oscars issue of the Hollywood Reporter, and Scott will talk about some awesome pieces he's got uh, lined up for the rest of the week on HollywoodReporter.com, the Daily Anonymous Oscar ballots, his final forecast, uh, his final predictions, and of course, what he'll talk about at the end of the episode with the Beauty and the Beast and the deep dive he does into that nominee that was the first animated film to be nominated for Best Picture, Mike. You know, if only he had a work ethic, he would. Uh, yeah. <laughs> One of the most prolific journos in Hollywood. He not only uh, is on top of breaking news and making news as much as he can, he does us the service this episode of breaking some news that I, I mean, we read the trades daily. He, he glitzes us in on some information, some behind the scenes stuff that I had not heard anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm very interested to hear what you, dear listener, think of what Scott brings to the table, not only about the takes on the Oscar show itself, about the best picture, but about some of the behind the scenes negotiations of what the show will look like. Just a quick uh, show note. Mm-hmm. The last couple episodes, this episode and the meat of the episode anyway, I've been having some audio issues on my end. I'm trying to get to the bottom of them. I know it's been not the usual standard of audio that uh, you're used to listening to. I apologize for that. You might hear some crackling, some popping this episode when I'm talking, but the bright side is, and maybe it's the bright side of all bright sides for you, dear listeners, that I don't speak much this episode. So (laughs) it's mostly we lay it out there for Scott to do most of the talking as when you have someone like Scott Feinberg on, you should do. So... uh, uh, again, apologies if uh, if you deal with a little bit of crackling and popping during the the body of this episode, uh, but I'm going to clean it up in editing and post as much as I can. But let's get down to business and let's roll with why everyone is here. The Feinberg Final, the fourth annual Feinberg Final on Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Scott Feinberg, the man from The Hollywood Reporter. We will see you all on the other side. Let's do it. All right, on the line, our favorite Oscars conversation every year, Scott Feinberg of The Hollywood Reporter, joining us once again for our Feinberg final. Scott, how are you? How are you doing? How's the home stretch treating you? <laughs> Good to be with you guys, keep our tradition going. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think everyone who is paying attention to this year's race is emotionally drained and physically <laughs> exhausted and everything. It's just been a really long season to have this thing go you know, all the way to the end of March, I think the Olympics was part of that. And mm. just a very long season. But the good news is we actually still have a lot of unanswered questions. I mean, that's good and bad news because the pundits here, <laughs> we like to, you know, like to feel like we know what we're talking about. But sometimes you just it really is a toss up in a lot of categories. And the biggest one is probably the biggest toss-up of the night, and we have a bit of a tradition here. We've had a lot of fun with Best Picture this year. It seems like you're enjoying enjoying it as well. You just had a recent article, the PGA Awards Analysis. You make the cases for both CODA and the power of the dog to win Best Picture, and you do so. You've convinced me both ways. You cite all this long-standing history, you break down all kinds of statistics and trends, and you work in some political satire. The only issue is you've made it a true toss-up, so now you got to convince us one way or the other. Scott, what's going to win Best Picture this year? Well, here's the here's the wild card as well. I don't know if you saw this morning, but yeah. I did an interview with uh, the guy who runs Focus Features, who's convinced that, and I know he has to say this, but I, I do believe he really believes it, and I can see why, that, you know, don't count out Belfast. Because, again, the preferential ballot that they used to 
pick the best picture winner, it, it just changes literally the whole equation. And so, um, you know, that certainly is a movie that it's hard not to at least like. The question is, is it more widely kind of crowd pleasing or, you know, likely to place highly on ballots than Coda, uh, which is the other one that's sort of hard to at least, you know, hard to not at least like. Then there's Power of the Dog, which, you know, has very passionate supporters, but also is very polarizing. So that's one where, you know, can you win primarily with number one votes when a lot of your other votes are going to be quite low? Um, It's just a it's a whole it really is almost impossible to predict with great confidence. But I think that, you know, gun to your head at the moment, based on momentum and sort of the way things have gone in the last few years, I think I have to predict Coda. Wow. Wow. That's uh, that's a thrill to hear. Mm. And it's it's such an emotional movie and, and, and mo- emotions and passions are they're back up this year with which is so refreshing because last year was so somber. It was like we were all in the van with Fern and we respected that movie, but Jesus, it was a long uh, meandering season again. And it, 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 it wasn't this year, like this year you were back on the road with awards chatter. I mean, you were live, I think eight times from the festivals on down. You had Javier Bardem and Daniel Craig. I mean, they're just killing it. I mean, my God, were they funny? <laughs> You you also had like these profound moments interviewing like the Jane Campions, the Rita Morenos, and and that, and that last episode you did with Kotzer, Troy Kotzer, where I mean it's like Coda itself. I mean you guys had us laughing one minute, you had us near tears the next. I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. So Scott, I mean I'm shocked that this season I'm actually rooting for these four acting front runners, and this is unusual for me. Right, I'm not... no, I agree with you. I it's, it's like how do you not? These guys are all. Right. You know, uh, people who do great work and are not jerks. And, you know, it it doesn't mean there aren't other people who wouldn't fit that description as well. But it's like, if this is the way it's going to go. Right. Fine. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the podcast because I appreciate that. That's yeah, it's been it's it's like Mm -hmm. such a weird uh, variety of, of not weird, but, you know, a wide variety of people over the course of a season and it's nice that you know you i feel like with some of them you kind of cut through the talking points and and get a better sense of who they really are and what's what's uh shaped their lives i mean as you say the campion and kotzer ones i think in particular were uh you know even in the moment you're like wow I, i i mean i knew a little bit about the stuff that was very emotional with them but like to hear it in depth and all of that and it's just you know, it's easy to forget these are people. I'm not usually such a big mush and connect on an emotional level. Usually Mike and I are rooting for chaos. We're rooting for the upset. We're rooting for the uh, the surprise on the night. But I tell you, I think they've aced this award season in terms of the precursors, but also the campaigns. And I, I, I do wonder if you think that things are more back to normal in terms of, of, of your coverage, of covering these campaigns, of coming out of the pandemic, uh, and, and if, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm wondering if you think these four will go the different, you know, the distance and you got the Feinberg forecast to tell us that as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that these four look like what it's going to be. I would the one who feels a little shaky to me is Chastain. But mm-hmm. um, and I wouldn't be totally shocked. I mean, I would be I would 
I, I would not be totally shocked if Andrew Garfield beat Will Smith. I don't wow. think it's going to happen. And I, you know, I like, I love uh, both performances. Both guys are great. Um, but, you know, when you've been sweeping the precursors and then you get shocked at the Oscars, that is always a, a gut punch when that's happened. So, and it doesn't happen that often. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you think back to like Glenn Close and certain other things. I, I, to be honest, hope that it doesn't happen at this point because it really is, it's almost like cruel and unusual punishment to do that to somebody after <laughs> after so long sure. of telling them they're going to win. And mm-hmm. plus, these guys are all very worthy. Now, the actress is different only in that, you know, prior to the SAG Awards, I don't even think Jessica Chastain thought she was going to have a real shot at winning. You've got five women in that category who none of them are nominated for movies that are also nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. They Three of them have won before. Then you've got Chastain's up for the third time. Kristen Stewart's up for the first. I could see any of them winning, but it does just seem to make sense. The more you kind of step back and look at it, that, you know, Chastain, it's the kind of showy performance that, you know, you, you could liken it to Marion Cotillard in Le'Veon Rose or <laughs> Meryl Streep in The Iron Lady or whatever, you know, real person, kind of a exaggerated uh, character, but, um, and, and maybe the movie's not even overall that great, but the performance is. And I think that it's also a sense of like, look, Olivia Coleman's great. Nicole Kidman's great. Melody Cruz is great, but they have one, like, let's give, give one of the other two, probably Chastain a shot. Although I, I have also heard plenty of Penelope Cruz support. So, and she has one, but not in the lead actress category. So I, I think any of the five could win there. I just think that if you have to lock down a pick right now, it's not possible to justify somebody more than Chastain. So what happened? The one name you didn't mention there, and it's the one name that we were, I mean, flooded with over on film Twitter in that category and won all these critic awards. I mean, obviously I'm talking about Kristen Stewart. If, if you're talking about the, the criteria of what, why Chastain is checking all these boxes, I, I think you, the argument can at least be made. You could say the same about Stewart. Did anything happen to that campaign? I think the bottom line is that neither of those two movies, Tammy Faye or Spencer were, particularly popular with the Academy. I mean, Spencer had some nice reviews, but it was primarily Kristen Stewart's reviews. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people hate both movies. I think they might Mm. hate Tammy Faye a little less. Um, Mm. And I think it might be, it might be as simple as that. You, you wrote an awesome piece on Lady Gaga and what happened there. Uh, Any kind of, you know, taking a step back from, from Gaga and, and not getting in, and then she doesn't win at BAFTA. Joanna Scanlon wins there. Where do you think she's at? You know, her career, she seemed like she was really going for this, and she's just, you know, you hear all these stories, her taking it so seriously and really committing to the craft. Uh, what do you think happened there that she just got boxed out? I think part of it is she, it's not a good, it's a, again, a movie that, you yeah. You know, made some money, but not very uh, well respected among critics or, you know, higher brow folks. It's just not a great movie and it's a little all over the place. And she, everybody's <laughs> doing a different accent and in their own movie. And I hear this, Mike. That... <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, the other thing, though, is like she I think there's probably a little backlash. She she said a lot of bizarre 
stuff during the campaign. It yeah. felt like <laughs> she was a little bit asking for it too much, you know. And I think that the reality is, it's it. Somebody pointed this out. It, it is sort of following the share trajectory, where it's like, wow, your first movie out, which I think for share may have been Silkwood. I think uh, in terms of like catching people's attention, uh, they're like, wow, she's really good. That's let's nominate her. That was we didn't expect that. That mm. was Lady Gaga for Stars Born. The next one, they're like, well, and I think for share that was Mask. It's like, well, not so fast. Let's just you know, you're not necessarily really an actress first and foremost and i'm not sure about you as you know your abilities blah 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 so sit down you're not getting nominated for that and then maybe the next thing back will be will be lady gaga's moonstruck where it's like all right you you, yeah you've worn us down and you know (laughs) but i think there there's you know she's she did win an oscar for the music of uh for the song from stars born i i don't think she's been deprived i just i'm not i think the only thing here was that it was just the the expectation versus it's not that she ever necessarily really deserved to be a slam dunk for the, for the Oscar nomination. But I think it started to seem like she was, especially when you have, you know, highbrow groups, supposedly like the New York film critics circle are giving her best actress. That was Mm. to me, one of the more bizarre choices of the season. You're, you're hitting on something I wanted to ask you about. And it has to do with the article you did just drop talking to the head of the focus, uh, focus features today. Uh, the preferential ballot was one aspect, but he also said another aspect that kind of uh, that caught my attention. He, he he said in there that Belfast can win and can surprise because people put too much stock in what happens in the Oscar precursor road. Between COVID yep. and all these changes that are going on with the scheduling of the precursors and the Oscars kind of being their own island, do you sense that's a real thing in the business right now where the Oscars are kind of unto themselves and not really, it, it matters less what happened in the precursors to what's going on going to happen on Oscar Sunday? I think that increasingly they are their own thing. I mean, the Academy used to be a primarily, you know, US, UK organization, not that long ago, until not that long ago. And then the byproduct of the Oscar so white thing where they're all right, we're going to make an effort to get more non-white and female members was mm. that they also ended up getting a lot more members based outside the U S for whom subtitles are not a deterrent, you know, for, and have different, maybe higher brow tastes and all of that. So I think that, and it's also, they're no longer, you know, the, the guilds, none of them are particularly, uh, representative of the makeup of the academy anymore and so you can get hints of the way people are thinking then you go to BAFTA and you know you could argue whether it's good or bad but they are completely removed from the from you know being relevant to predicting the Oscars when you now have small groups of people who are you Mm -hmm. know told that diversity has to be a, a first and foremost consideration when they're picking their nominees like it's just never it is not going to the, the winners may or may not still overlap in some cases, but it's it's going to be coincidental, not causal or, or you know, we can't we won't be able to uh, pinpoint any influence of Bath anymore. So I do think that it's a uh, it's it's a, it's probably more than ever a different organization than any of these others. I don't know that there's one that I would say you could put that much stock in. Yeah, last year we had you on, and and you did represent something the academy. It seems like the academy's been telling you that 
or a feeling that they have and that the precursors can somehow and sometimes steal their thunder a little bit because it, it is just chalk again and again and again. And now last year we did have some surprises and BAFTA threw us for a loop at the end of the day. And maybe this is two years ago. Uh, thank God that you keep coming back. But <laughs> I, I wonder if awards season should coordinate more. And Mike and I have been, you know, we've been thinking and arguing uh, amongst ourselves about how they could and and how these precursors could uh, kind of funnel down like almost a sports bracket and, and you got knockout rounds or whatever. What do you think is the future of award season? Do you think these shows continue and the precursors to go different? Or do you think they'll try and line back up with the Oscars again in the future? I mean, I, I don't think any of these guys are voluntarily going away. Um, mm-hmm. And they want to spread out as much as possible. I mean, it was a weird situation this year where you had BAFTA and Critics' Choice on the same day or whatever, but um, that was kind of just a a scheduling freak thing. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to go away, and I don't know that they can make themselves more. There's no group that can make itself more, uh, you know, resemble what the Oscars is. And so what you have is a bunch of, groups that you know the guilds and societies and whatever they represent little may or may not represent little pieces little branches of the academy but that's they happen within their own window of time you've got golden globes and critics choice which are journalists who have no representation in the academy you've Mm -hmm. got bafta which is god knows i mean i'm in bafta i don't know what what that means so you know know, it's not even all british people so uh, it's, I, I don't know that there are, are that many clues until you see the nominations from the Oscars about how the Academy feels. And to be honest, even that may be increasingly irrelevant because, look, you look at it right now, Power of the Dog has the most nominations by far. It's got 12. And mm-hmm. it may lose to a movie that has three. Yeah. And that's because of the preferential ballot. It's not a, And also, as somebody else's pointed out this week it's like the nomination vote totals don't really actually mean anything anyway what was coda supposed to get a costume design nomination right, right. A contemporary story it was never going there are certain movies like dune which are tailor-made to be in a million categories um it, so you know the nomination count itself doesn't even really tell you anything about overall popularity it just tells you that a movie is, you know, you know, widely well made, but you know, if some just be, because Coda didn't get a sound nomination doesn't mean that sound people didn't like the movie. It's yeah. that on what basis are you going to nominate it for best sound? So, um, it, I guess my point overall is that I think that it's I've never felt less confident that any mm. of these groups are actually telling us anything that matters. I think it just kind of builds a consensus. You know, you start to see momentum. If people are in their own ways like sheep, you know, they're going to follow what other people do a lot of the time. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. And so that's where something like you just see Will Smith, Will Smith, Will Smith, Will Smith. It, it's very unlikely that you're going to get a large number of people who then say, well, not Will Smith. That's mm-hmm. all that this stuff, I think, really tells you. So you're talking about a disconnect between the Academy and other voting bodies and precursor shows what about a disconnect within the oscars ballot itself because this is the second time in the last 
decade or so, we're going to have, you mentioned Dune, which we've compared and a lot of people have compared to Mad Max. You're going to have this technical marvel of a movie that could win as mm-hmm. many as six Oscars on Oscar night. And yet it's never been taken seriously as a best picture threat. It's, it's director who's the composer of all these different technical aspects fails to merit right. nomination in the director category. What's the rationale between Dune's, the separation of how Dune's viewed? Like, why can it be so successful below the line? And yet it's treated as almost an afterthought above the line by people who are in this space. Well, I agree with you that probably the oddest thing to happen on nomination morning is to not have Denis Villeneuve in there. And I'm, I'm talking to you now as somebody, I feel like I can share more personal feelings about how I feel about these movies because voting is over. Mm-hmm. I didn't even really particularly like Dune, but it was clearly a, a massive directorial achievement. This is a guy who almost mm-hmm. to the degree of Christopher Nolan is a specialist in just creating worlds, you know, in Mm. previous generations that was Lucas and whatever. Uh, This is the fact that it got all those below the line nominations, but not director is bizarre. Uh, And obviously can only be attributed to the director's branch because they're the only ones who picked the directing nominees. So I don't know what they were thinking, but um, there's that. Then uh, I think it could win more than six. I think it could really <laughs> dominate below the line and, uh, you know, even get into things like potentially costumes and, uh, you know, visual effects, uh, obviously, and sound and production design and cinematography. Like, it's, it could do, it could be a, yes, like a Mad Max-type sweep below the line. So I think that it it's just another piece of evidence to the point that, like, yeah, I think there, there's a lot of incoherence about the season. And yeah, it's not. I think part of the issue also is that if they had made, if they, if Dune was not a two part thing, yeah, yeah, I think people might have treated it differently. Like, but because it feels like an unfinished work, and that's even a way that some Academy members have spoken about it to me. It's like, well, let's wait and see what it is when it's all done. We don't want. It's too early to render a judgment on the movie overall but i guess they feel they can about some of the the craft work and all of that really appreciate you handling all these burning questions that have been literally burning us up all year long in such a succession here and and here's another flea flea is like at this nexus of disconnect because here we have three separate branches nominating it in internet as an international animated documentary all three and neon does a beautiful job with their campaigning and they get them in they get this movie in all three categories and yet now it appears based on precursors vegas whatever that it's going to lose all three is is that going to happen what what do you think went wrong is this voter confusion here with flea i don't i don't know that anything went wrong it's a pretty amazing thing to get all three right uh it's never Mm. happened before uh, in terms of the nominations and uh, it might've actually made it harder for it to win one because people don't know which is the one that most people are likely to get behind. I think right. that probably it's best shot is probably for documentary. I still think it will probably lose to summer of soul because everybody loves a music doc and not everybody loves an animated movie or a subtitled movie. Um, and so I think it, it just faces a built-in uphill climb in, in that category. For, and then in animation, there's, you know, blocks of 
people who work for Disney who, uh, you know, and then Netflix has come in with a lot of uh, campaign resource and all of that. I, I, I think that for them, the nominations are the win. If something else happens, uh, that would be, you know, gravy for them. I got to ask you a question about the Oscars show and the program and what we see when we're watching at home and, and you doing what you do as a professional journalist out there in La La Land and the land of blood, honey and TikTok influencers. I, I don't want to be as jaded towards the programming aspect as I am. And I know you had that exclusive last month where you were the one who announced that they're changing this whole program, right? They're going to announce eight on the red carpet and they're not going to be televised, but there will be a televised event. And there was this huge backlash on Twitter. I guess one, what are you personally expecting for them to put forward uh, in terms of changes to what we can expect as viewers at home? And two, just as someone who is as in touch as you are, where do you think the Academy should be looking to find new ideas on how to attract a generation of viewers, that Gen Z, that has cut cords and isn't watching cable at all anymore? I think that this is basically a situation of swimming. You, you get caught in the tide and you're trying to get back to shore and you might not make it unless you get a, a real... Unless, you know, you get some kind of a unanticipated rescue. Somebody comes by with a boat or a lifeboat or whatever. Like, the, the reality is the ratings are going down on television for everything mm, because yeah. people watch less television. And there's more things to do with your time. There what there didn't used to be as much, you know, uh, on the Internet or TikTok or all this other crap that they now have to compete with. So <laughs> it's not surprising that it's going down. It's surprising how they've reacted to, you know, to, to that reality where, you know, I think that I'm not sure that I, I understand. And I actually feel for the Academy that, you know, all their money that they make and that they need to operate comes from ABC. It's mm -hmm. not a good thing if ABC is pissed at you because your ratings suck. And also knowing that in a few years, you're going to have to renegotiate with ABC for the next bunch of years, hopefully on your, on your part, you, you don't want to, the rating, the, the, the basis of what you are offered in that next negotiation is tied to how you've done with the ratings on these. So yeah, on the one hand, they're, they're guaranteed to be with ABC through 2028. So you could say, oh, well, you know, then just do what you want and then worry about it in 2028. You know, you could fight it out then, but that's not how it works because if your ratings continue to suck when ABC extended their deal when they were getting 30 million viewers and last year they had 10 million, right. you're going to, you're going to get a lot less money on the next, next time around, which they cannot afford to do now that they have a museum and they have yeah. much larger staff and all of that. So on the one hand, I certainly get why they're trying to keep ABC happy. On the other hand, it's not, you're not going to function any better if your own membership turns on you. So I think they did the best they could to, find middle ground here i don't think people their members necessarily realize how how much further abc would have liked them to go which from what i've been told is 12 categories gone from oh, the show oh. altogether like gone not edited oh, down or wow gone so if that had happened we would have had heads would have exploded. world war three or yeah. four i don't know what we're talking <laughs> Ukraine. right but, right you know, so, yeah. you know that would not have gone over very well and uh, I think that 
so it's it's a terrible position. And also remember that the CEO Don Hudson and the president David Rubin are on the way out. So if you are ever going to have to make a a uncomfortable decision and not have to worry about oh, are people going to you know turn on me or not like me anymore or whatever, this is the time sure. you you had to do. It. So I don't know. I, I personally don't think that very many people who watch on television and are not like uh, intimately involved with film Twitter are even going to notice that anything's different or if any, or if they do, they'll probably like it because it, it just moves things along faster and they don't care about seeing, you know, a sound guy try to squeeze his way out of the aisle and then walk all the way to the stage <laughs> and then try to put up his glasses to make out his speech and read a bunch of names they've never heard of. It, it's not going to bother your average viewer. But I think that it, it, it clearly bothers a lot of Academy members who are worried that this is just one step on a slippery slope. But what about, I mean, this may be too far in the weeds for you, and if it is, I apologize, and, and we'll move on. But why has there been this resistance towards embracing streaming or embracing YouTube or embracing some other aspect that isn't just that Disney still has a hand in that ABC still owns, but isn't just the television set that's been in your family room since the 1950s. I agree with you. I mean, they have Disney plus they could be making this like March madness. Right. Mm. And you know, you build a whole, a whole week around it and you, or, you know, even the, the nominations announcement should be like the, like the, um, you know, the way they do uh, the the picks for NCAA. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you you can do a lot more to create excitement for the Oscars than having, I forget the guy's name even, because I I don't think I knew it before they announced it, the guy that did the nomination, he's not even a movie guy. It's absurd. It was, it's like these guys, I, I, I don't understand why they can't get out of their own way on a lot of this stuff. I know they mean well, everybody's trying their best, but like, they're they're not helping themselves in a lot of ways here like you you know so it's it's a tough one because the reality is out in the world even movie lovers contrary to what film twitter says are not that you know riveted to see uh best costume design right presented Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's an important part of movies and this is an organization where everybody you know, it was, it's all about everyone being important in the movies. <clears throat> so you've got to figure out a way to, to do that. I, where people feel valued. And I, I think that what may end up, you know, who knows where, where it ends up in a few years or even maybe sooner if, if Disney does sever the relate, if there's a way out of this current yeah. deal, it might be the best thing for everybody if there is, because then it could be maybe more reimagined as a, as a, mm-hmm. you know, totally different thing but i think that you know i don't i i just find that a lot of these decisions you know let's see how they actually play out on on oscar night you don't want to prejudge too much but Mm -hmm. you know having having tony hawk and sean white presenting but not having rachel zegler until this morning oh my god idiotic (laughs) oh my god i couldn't believe it i when i saw that list i was like you know i god bless tony hawk and sean white but it seems like you know you're the uncle trying to throw your kid's 16th birthday party here you know like what do you it's just such a disconnect and and i i understand apparently what will packer's trying to do and again Mm -hmm. it's not a it's a thankless job i i'm not trying to be yeah demeaning but like his idea is apparently that we're going to show that people from all aspects of life love the movies and blah, blah, blah. That's 
nobody cares. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it's so frustrating for us because, like, the audience is out there. Maybe they're in their homes more than ever with streaming, but some of those numbers, and and who knows what the Netflix numbers actually mean, but those viewership numbers are astronomical. Mm -hmm. The subscriber numbers are ludicrous. I mean, mean, it seems like the business is as healthy as ever. It just seems like it needs to shift. We have, you know, the next day airing of the Oscars on Hulu. I mean, they're not live... It's not live, obviously. We had SAGs playing on HBO Max forever. I'm wondering if maybe that's the test case this year, Scott. I mean, are we going to have them getting out of this deal and moving to streaming sooner if, if it's not you? I mean, we, hell, we had the BAFTAs broadcast on, on BritBox. BritBox, yeah. Right. If they yeah, go... <laughs> if they do i mean if they do disconnect from abc at some point because i get i get it right abc is trying to keep abc going right they're trying to keep people from cutting the cords and live television like sports and like award shows is what's keeping people connected so i mean are they just the ones i mean this is a whole mess well, of vertical integration yeah, like what if if, if live sports and, and and award shows are the only things that still get even decent ratings which they are I'm not sure why ABC is being so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, demanding here, except that it's it's just that it's fallen apart a lot fast. I think they realized they were signing up for a diminishing yeah. uh, asset. You know, it was not going to get more. It's not trends are just you're not going to get more viewers, but I don't think they thought they'd be losing viewers as fast as they have. Now, granted, there was a. It was, and to some degree, still is a global pandemic, which is affecting <laughs> the you know number of people who go to movies and who therefore have an investment in the outcome of the Oscars and all of that. But I'll tell you what else is not really super effective at getting people to care about the Oscars is having three hosts who very yeah. few people outside of New York and L.A. give one iota of a damn about. Mm. It's a fair point. So, what's a win for the Academy? What's a win on Monday? When the rating, when anything comes out, the ratings, the headlines, what what do they think is a win this year? Because there's going to be a regression to the, towards the mean. Because you don't go from 30 million to 10 million without probably during a pandemic without getting some of a million or so back. You know, like is 15 well, million I a mean, win? I hope so. I hope. So. I think if they don't go down further, that will be pretty uh, helpful. <laughs> you know, if it's not out of the question that it would be lower than it was last year, which would be. Ugh. absolutely horrible Disastrous. you know that's that's the point where i think disney looks at how to get out of this if it if it went sure? down even further because it's, it's not an it's not an inexpensive show to put together so sure uh and and all of that i think like when you start it becomes a question at that point of is, is this worth it for anyone but i think that a win is a show that has some Surprises that are good, you know, like uh, maybe a Tony Hawk type opponent <laughs> is actually done in a really cool, creative way that I can't fathom. But like mm. a lot of these, you know, randos are actually incorporated in a cool way that there are some moments that everybody just loves, like having potentially all the Godfather people do best picture or something like that not mm-hmm. doing stupid stuff like mixing up the order of the categories, uh, having some good speeches, uh, you know, like it, 
things can go very wrong easily, but it's also, you know, you can catch some breaks. I mean, if you go back, there's an amazing clip on YouTube from a documentary, part of a larger documentary, that shows what it was like in the control room the year that Cuba Gooding Jr. won Best Supporting Actor, which I think was the first award of the night. And nobody could have imagined that he would give such an electric speech Mm. that would get everybody fired up and kick the night off on such a a big momentum, you know, Mm -hmm. note. And so that was a time where they caught a lucky break and it sets the tone for the rest of the evening. But, you know, if the best picture winner ends up being a movie that average person hasn't heard of, doesn't care about, wouldn't like if they had, uh, that's, that's problematic as well. I understand that's beyond ABC's control, but, you know, I think for them, probably the best case scenario is like, yeah, Will Smith wins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I don't know if the actress, supporting actress, supporting actor really moves the needle either way for them, any of the people there. But, you know, Will Smith, um, a honestly, probably Coda, mm-hmm. because <laughs> that's just a moment that everybody would feel good about and feel happy for these people and it's historic and you're going to see everybody in the you know uh audience doing the 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 kind of deaf applause where the you know the fingers Mm -hmm. are up like that's a cool that's a parasite like moment absolutely and um so they need a few things like that that where it's just not it doesn't break towards the boring Mm-hmm. And and hope that they get, you know, people talking on social media, whatever. They they are going to have all the big people performing songs. They got lucky this year with Billie Eilish and Beyonce being nominated. And I guess, you know, they figured out a way to get We Don't Talk About Bruno in there, even though that wasn't nominated. Um, <laughs> you know, so I think that that's going to help. Like, there's a lot of things that could go either way. And I think they, you know, we just have to wait and see. You're the consummate pro. I was worried that this podcast would not have an arc. We would just go to the dark side <laughs> and never come back. And here we we have come back. And look, I do think like this movie year has delivered the goods better than ever. We've gotten back to film festivals. We've gotten some box office back. And, and yeah, look, I think the best pictures have kind of found their way more to streaming services during this time. But that's, that's always kind of been the case where they've been on home video or whatnot. I, I maybe forward looking. Do you do you think looking at the Netflix slate next year and the Apple slate, it looks like they 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 might be destined to do this again with like Bradley Cooper, Noah Baumbach, George C. Wolf going against Scorsese and Will Smith and Peter Farrelly, etc. But we also got this robust slate coming to theatrical, Scott. I mean, looking forward, do you think the streamers are going to keep throwing all this cash into the award season? Because that's that's booing up these these numbers, or do you think, uh, like it seems to me, uh, it, we're going to have just as much in theaters and hopefully making that Oscars box office again too? Well, I'll be totally honest with you. I have not even looked at what's coming this year. <laughs> I've been still too traumatized trying to just get through this year. But um, I'm happy to hear it. Sounds like there's some good stuff coming. And yeah. once I once I come out of hibernation, I'll. I'll, I'll be able to comment on that. I've read more. those names and my heart sunk too. So that's two of us on this yeah. call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Well, no, I don't blame you for that. I have looked. I have. I have to. I try to look. At, I'm. I'm a worry wart planner. So maybe that. But yeah, I mean, this. I don't know if this is like a new era for Netflix. So maybe that's the thing. That that's the final question here. What do you think? Like the the Netflix Apple party. Are you going to the Apple party if if they win for Coda? Like you've been having a ball in these rooms, you know, filming the Coda crew. Uh, but Netflix has been dying for this one for a while. Where are their heads at? I mean, they're, they're, I think, on one level happy because they know they can basically count on Jane Campion winning Best Director, which will be a, mm-hmm. a major historic achievement. And, you know, nothing too shabby about winning the Best Director Oscar. Um, and mm-hmm. they have done that several times now with, uh, I guess, the uh, Quaron for Roma. Yeah. And, um, you know, they've, they've I think that they will be disappointed if that's all there is, but it does mean they'll still have something to celebrate. Um, and they may very well win best picture too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's either so, but you know, at the very least they've got one big one and they're getting, it looks like the idea that the Academy won't even consider giving Netflix a, a best picture is that's gone. Especially Good. if, if they have to lose and they end up losing to another uh, streamer, that mm. is a little bit in, you know, that, that's going to hurt for them because that's something they really want. But I think it also will confirm that, you know, people aren't voting against streamers. That's not that's not something that I never really thought that. I don't. I think people vote for what they like. They don't vote against things as much as some people might think. Um, so I think it's. Look, if Belfast wins, then we've then that becomes a real source <laughs> yeah. because maybe you you have to wonder at that point if there really is anti-streamer uh, sentiment. But I don't I don't believe that there is in any large numbers, and I think the numbers are getting smaller every year, especially during a pandemic when people are so grateful to have right. the ability to watch movies without risking their lives. I have to ask this question before we get before you let you go, Scott. And I apologize, but you, the <laughs> streaming conversation tips it off. But less to do with the Oscars specifically, and more to do with the industry of film in general, because streaming is now part of our everyday lives, and it has become more so because of the last two years with COVID being what it was. You are someone who talks to the top level people in the business for a living on a day to day basis. It seems. Do you sense any sort of imperative to save the theatrical experience, knowing that there's this whole shift towards streaming and just watching movies from the comfort of your couch going on in the industry at large? I mean, do you have any, I guess, can you leave us with words of hope about what might be to come for the theatrical experience? Or is everyone just kind of waiting for COVID to officially end to see those numbers and what they do and then go from there? I don't know that the Academy is that directly invested in it one way or the other. I think they probably would like there to continue to be a theatrical Mm -hmm. movie going experience just because it's good for the whole industry, but they also are very involved with Netflix and, and, you know, the other streamers and Ted Sarandos is the, uh, I believe currently the chair of their museum board. And, you know, the, it's not like there's a war 
between this the era or cold war between the streamers and the mm-hmm. traditional mm-hmm. studios and all that so i think that um there's also only so much they can do i think this is similar to the diversity issues in the in the business they their intentions have always been good you can see they want to encourage inclusion which great but you are at the end of the process. You're at the end of the pipeline. The people who have to be doing more about that are the people who decide what clients to sign at agencies, what movies to green light at studios, you know, all of that. You are basically as the Academy in a position primarily to look at what gets thrown at you and then pick the best of that. And I think that as, as well-intentioned as it is to uh, try to force, I just, I just think that they've sometimes lost, lost reality, lost touch with reality as far as what they can actually do. And I think the same is true of the theatrical, like experience that it, the, the Academy is not, there's there, unless they ban stream, you know, movies that are streamed, which I don't think anybody would want, especially, I mean, they, they make their own, all movies now Mm. are, pretty much made available to Academy members through the Academy's own streaming service. So they're going to, they're going to now come out and say they're against streaming. I just think that, um, you know, they at a certain point have to pick their battles. doesn't mean they root against the theatrical, you know, of course nobody's rooting against the theatrical movie going experience, but there's only so much that they can really do to have an effect on where that all goes. Scott, we, uh, we can't thank you enough, man. I mean, this is a this is a year of pent up, burning questions, all thrown into one episode. And I'm going to give you the only softball of the 45 <laughs> minutes here, and just ask you about uh, what you got coming up this week. It's Oscars week. You got the the big Oscars issue at THR coming out, I'm sure, any any day now. And then uh, you got uh, the, the Feinberg, the final Feinberg forecast, and the could have been a contender uh, piece. I, I love that so much. So should have win, could have win. Uh, what, what, what do you got? Well, thank you. I uh, appreciate it. And, you know, we're taping this on Tuesday afternoon. On Wednesday morning, I'm excited for folks to read if they choose. We're starting to roll out the stuff that's in the print issue of the Oscar issue. That's going to be rolling out online and, hmm. the you know, starting to roll out online. And um, my big project for that this year was an oral history of how the hell beauty and the beast 30 years ago became the first animated movie ever to crack into the best picture oh, so category cool. oh, wow. and how it's to this day the only one that ever did so when there were only five nominees allowed in that category so what is happening for that story was i tracked down about 30 different people involved with that, whether they were the executives like Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg or the animators and the voice actors and the people who were running the Oscar campaign and kind of got the real story, which hasn't ever fully been told about how they pulled that off and some of the crap they encountered along the way and how they felt when in reaction to that happening, the Academy basically shortly thereafter created the animated feature Oscar, which was, not you know a lot of them feel was done to dis- to make it harder for an animated movie to get nominated huh. for best picture because there mm. was a place for that to happen elsewhere so anyway that's the big one that i've been involved with but yeah we're going to have a brutally honest ballot tonight as soon as voting closes and then nice. one every day until 
the Oscars. And so that'll give people a little insight into how some voters are thinking as they filled out their or were thinking as they filled out their ballot. Hmm. And, um, you know, just a bunch of other random stuff. We got actually Friday night is governor's award. So I, I am going to add one more episode of the podcast, which we recorded uh, eight years mm-hmm. ago with Lee Volman, who's getting an honorary Oscar. And I think it was a really, it was before I had a podcast, but I recorded it and the audio is good enough. Not, not as great as we would have usually as it would sound today if we did it for the podcast, but good enough that hopefully gives people a chance to remember how many great things she was a part of en route to getting this recognition. So that'll go up. And then honestly, it all, Monday morning, we start with Emmy season because our first episode of the Emmys, uh, Emmy season podcast, our first episode of that, uh, of the podcast of the Emmy season is going up Monday morning with all the Squid Game people. So that nice. has been recorded already and excited to get that up, but also to drop off the radar for a little while. <laughs> so I was going to say, so a nice, easy, low-key week for you and everyone at THR. Huh? Yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> we cannot yeah. thank you enough, Scott. Truly our favorite conversation every year. Can't wait to do it again next thank year, buddy. You. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Take care. Have fun on Sunday. You too, bud. You too. Bye. We got to thank Scott, as we always do and have, and I feel incredibly honored and and blessed to have him. He agrees to come on and share part of his extremely busy schedule this time of year with us. I can't thank him enough. He's been nothing but but so nice to us, but I also want to extend our thanks to everyone we've had on this award season and this lead-up and every year, quite frankly, in the lead-up to Oscar Sunday as we have, but... Man, they don't they don't get better than what Scott brings to the table every year for us, do they, Mike? Uh, it's just a phenomenal conversation, and uh, like I said, I mean, we we don't hold back. We we go at him hard with the toughest mm-hmm. questions we can come up with, and uh, his his ability to, to to handle these questions and and then just the the willingness to to be on our show in the first place. He know we come from the same area in the country, and we didn't know Scott growing up. Uh, obviously, but we we known his work even well before. Now the we, way people geek out over movie stars, we kind of grew up geeking yeah. out over Scott. Yeah, Feinberg we do. So, and other journals. In I space, think yeah. he senses our cult follower willingness, <laughs> and there are there there are tasks in our future that Scott mm-hmm. we we are willing to take um, wholeheartedly with our eyes wide open. Now what? We'll, right. Yeah, we'll, right. We'll, we'll go after people for you. We'll just right. go, exactly. Whatever yeah. you ask us to do, we'll do. Now look at I mean. Uh, Scott, we, we've we've uh, admired him as a journalist throughout. He is a true journalist in that sense of the word. He's breaking news. Uh, he's covering this industry uh, the right way. And uh, make sure you guys follow him. Follow him. Uh, that's our words of wisdom today. Follow him on uh, The Hollywood Reporter. Follow him on social media, at Scott Feinberg. On Twitter, Scott underscore Feinberg. On Instagram, make sure you look out for all of his pieces that he just talked about that are upcoming this week. Go back and read his old stuff. Read that PGA Awards analysis piece. It's awesome. And, uh, of course, you know you can listen to Scott on a podcast. Awards Chatter is appointment listening every week. It's always good. And you can't say that about MMO, Mike. You can't. We're not always good. Sometimes we're, we're very mediocre. And other times we're flat-out terrible. Uh, but obviously we have great guests like Scott and the guests we've had this season, like you said, I mean, we, we, we put out great episodes cause we can't help it. Like we can't lose. 
when we got guests. I, I always say, like, when I don't know why people of such regard, the Eric Webbers, the Scott Feinbergs, the people we've had on in the past, <laughs> people that come to us routinely, I don't know why they choose to, to grace us with their presence, but we are eternally grateful when they do, each and every guest we have, because it does certainly raise the prestige of this programming, as otherwise Something when it's me better, and you, yeah. we Someone strive better. for mediocrity. So... Uh, <laughs> But uh, in all sincerity, once again, well, thank you to Scott. Thank you to all our guests. We hope, dear listener, we brought some entertainment, some insight, some knowledge for you to go into this Oscar Sunday uh, with to hopefully at least enhance your viewing enjoyment and viewing pleasure and maybe even fatten your wallet along the way. And if you lose money, I don't know, blame Mike, not me. You heard Mike's words of wisdom already. When you're done listening to Scott on Award Shadow, when you're done following him, uh, if you also, dear listener, would not mind leaving us your thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns, because as always, what matters most to us are your thoughts. What do you think about the news Scott broke on this program? What do you think about his takes? What do you think about our takes? Or if you want to just leave comment on anything else we have done here in the MMO Empire, do feel free to do so on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com. Dot com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or the Spotify app, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, those truly, truly help us out a ton. Uh, Michael, you gave your words of wisdom already. Uh, I'd say fill the people in on what's coming next, but I mean, we're here. This is next. This is It's Oscars time, finally. The 94th is here. We're going to do our recap and reaction show next. We're going to pivot at some point, depending on what happens uh, at the show. If we need a Fallout episode, we'll give it to you. Uh, if not, we're excited to pivot after this grand finale and uh, pivot to the year in preview series that we know you guys love, that you turn out to in droves. We always get great ratings on our year in preview series. Mm-hmm. So that'll be April. We'll also be, yeah, I mean, we'll be reviewing. Uh, all the new movies that come out, I think uh, I got a long schedule of them, Mike, that uh, I'm I'm afraid to show you at this point because I know you... Please don't. Uh, you Hold get, off until May. Like Scott, you get daunted <laughs> for a little bit. You need a little rest. But uh, no, th- it always rejuvenates us though, right? I mean, we get excited about all these movies that we want to see that we've been teased about for a while and that, uh, you know, they're, they're, these studios will tease us throughout the next 12 months uh, heading into what will certainly be another 14-month Oscar season, no doubt about it. And uh, <laughs> we'll be here. Is that all this was? In springtime <laughs> voting for award. No, I think this is uh, I think this is a long season, but I- I'm really glad for the excitement that we got coming down the pike here uh, for this yeah. finale. It didn't, it didn't pitter out at the end. I was so worried about chalk, and we certainly have uh, some stuff of intrigue to look forward to on Sunday night, so uh, be sure to tweet along with us. We will be active on Twitter, at Oscar. Once again, uh, if you want to talk, conversate and talk and share bars back and forth on Sunday night during the show, we will be on there. I am beyond curious to see what this telecast uh, looks like, mm-hmm. what the Academy finally puts together for us, especially uh, thanks to Scott's intrigue, and I, I'm just looking forward to all of it, but... Uh, Thank you, dear listener, for bearing with us and being with us and listening to us and tuning into us all year long. We hope to keep giving you reasons to tune in uh, and keep talking with us on our social medias as well. And guys, like we always say here, when reality sucks, you can come strap in for the 94th Academy Awards with us. Our thanks to Scott. Our thanks to all our guests all season long. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all I I guess at this point, very early Monday morning. (laughs) 
See you. <laughs>